and welcome to another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Danielle Hanley, and joining me on the other line, even though all that he learned from male, from the male robot thug is that the men's bathroom needs more toilet paper, he's disappointed, but he's John McMahon. <laughs> I'm extremely disappointed. <laughs> Just like Arkady and Oleg and Tatiana, I spent so many, so much time poring over hundreds and hundreds of pages of male robot transcripts. It was just so funny when Arkady was like, here is this amazing thing that we have. And they're like, we're listening to fucking. <laughs> and it was the drama of like, I am reading you into Operation yeah. Zephyr. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and like... Keep me out of operations of fear, all right? Like, I don't, I don't need any of this. Well, and I'm like, oh, is this going to be, uh, like, is this, what is this going to be? And then when he's describing it, I'm like, oh, it's like the bug in Mail Robot. Oh, cool. And he's like, oh, it's like, we have unfettered access to <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And it's like, the male bathroom needs more toilet paper. <laughs> yep, exactly. Oh. <sighs> What are we here to do, John? We're here to talk about American Season 3, Episode 11, One Day in the Life of Anton Boklanov, directed by Andrew Bernstein and written by Stephen Schiff and Tracy Scott Wilson. Danielle, what's our IMDb summary this week? IMDb summary is, Philip and Elizabeth's home and work lives collide in new and dangerous <laughs> ways. Nina struggles to figure out her next steps. Arkady assigns Oleg and Tatiana to an operation with uncertain potential. <laughs> it's, uh, did you plan your intro around the fact that the <laughs> summary made reference to the toilet no. paper and the male bathrooms of the FBI? Honestly, no, but I wish that I could say yes. <laughs> but maybe this is like some spy craft you're running on me, and in fact, you were planning this all along. <laughs> I mean... I'll take it. I don't put it past you. <laughs> I'm not sneaky enough. <laughs> so, Danielle, I think there's an obvious question. Well, I thought it was an obvious question <laughs> to start this episode with. Um, but I discovered uh, 20 minutes ago that that was not the case. <laughs> well, it might still be obvious. It's just, like, not obvious to the uninitiated and uneducated like myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have... Of course, this episode title's reference, right? Did not know. <laughs> to... <laughs> like, literally had no idea. <laughs> I was like, oh, one day in the life of Anton McClellan. What a cool episode name. <laughs> it's it's not a Beatles reference. It's a reference to Alexander Solzhenitsyn uh, in his, I think it's 1962 book, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, which is his uh, famous slash infamous within the Soviet Union, um, I think if I understand correctly, lightly fictionalized account of life in the gulags under Stalinist Soviet KGB uh, persecution, which was like quite a scandal, right? This, I mean, Solzhenitsyn, if I understand it correctly, was kind of like always a dissident. He himself was uh, incarcerated in the 50s, I believe, for a long time. And so this book is like his attempt to try to get word out about what has happened. So we have Solzhenitsyn, like groundbreaking book in the history of Soviet dissidents. Had we heard of Alexander Solzhenitsyn before today? Literally not at all. I didn't <laughs> no. even realize that, like, th one, I didn't realize this was a reference. Two, you wrote that name on our outline, and I was like, 
that looks like a made up name. (laughs) (laughs) And as you were describing it, like this famous book in the Soviet Union, I was like, uh, I like, I think the only book, well, maybe there are some other ones, but the book that like in my brain is like famous in the Soviet Union that maybe like I shouldn't necessarily know. Not the Anna Karenina's of the world, but like <laughs> other is like the Gulag Archipelago. That's like a book that I know. Solzhenitsyn, his he's oh, more really? he's more well known for Gulag Archipelago for sure, right? <laughs> but a One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich oh. is earlier, if I if I have it correctly. Um, and so, like you know. Some light Wikipediaing earlier before starting this episode indicates, right, that he won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1970. Yeah. He then got a few different um, literary prizes from the Russian Federation post fall of the Soviet Union. Full very, circle moment. Extremely superficial uh, Soviet literary history takes us to a central question for you, Danielle. You Great. can go in the Solzhenitsyn track or different track if you would like but probably take a different track but just like <laughs> spitballing here in an episode where i think what absent the title both our inclinations would have been oh let's talk about anton and nina in gloss yeah what do you think the framing device of naming the episode through anton Boklanov or kind of foregrounding his yeah. story or his life or like thinking through what it means to read this episode through him and his storyline and what he has to say what do you think that does for our uh interpretation of this episode yeah, I mean, I think it puts him. Fr- I think it puts him front and center in a way that he wouldn't have otherwise been, and that actually kind of feels a little bit like Nina's storyline this season has been a little bit of a head scratcher to me. Like, obviously, I understand where it fits in, <clears throat> but the like, it it has always felt a little bit separate from everything else by virtue of the fact that it's like not in America and everything else is right. Like by virtue of the fact that we watch Nina, like get disconnected from everything at the end Mm -hmm. of last season, like all of that. And so to me, like naming the episode after a Baklanov and putting the Nina Baklanov stuff kind of like, at least in the forefront of our minds, it is like, reminding us that even though it feels far away, it's not. And I think it's also maybe seeding like how important some of this stuff is going to be, even if it still feels like a separate show that's happening. Hmm. I think that like on a plot level, that last bit is important because, you know, Nina is somebody who is most well equipped to discuss the realities of doing spy work in DC out of any character we have met that isn't currently in Washington, DC or the suburbs of Washington, DC. Right. So her constant refrain is you don't understand how hard it is to like get the photographs that Baklanov needs that it would take years, might take years to get an agent in place and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. That's kind of on the plot level of how Nina is like offering a different way into the actual mechanics of the spy work and kind of the bigger picture of that spy work. Then there's also this line towards the end of the episode where uh, Baklanov gives us something to the effect of these people they took me their monsters right they just people have traded me back and forth nina also says she's been traded um back and forth right they traded me to these thugs these monsters who won't let me speak to anybody right and so as we talked about with lily 
the previous two episodes ago, right, in uh, the Mail Robot Repair Center, previous episode in the Jennings Kitchen with Paige, we have these conversations where Elizabeth is having to grapple with people questioning the morality, like the fundamental morality yeah. of, what, of what she's doing, what her and Philip yeah. are doing. And so I wonder if now we have like Baklanov is offering another push in that direction. I really like that. It wasn't what I, it wasn't something I was thinking about, but I think like your read or like the way that you're pulling Baklanov's like, analysis kind of into this conversation and putting it on par with the sort of like these other questions of the morality of all of these things uh, like that resonates with me and i think i i wonder if like part of that is because he is like both far away at, like because this is happening far away it it gives both the like spatial but also the like kind of like outsider perspective on these things, even though he is of course not like outside of any of this stuff, that it sort of gives this added dimension of weight in a way. It does. And then we also have Nina, you know, I mean, she's been in this position throughout the season of telling uncomfortable truths that seem also like half truths. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, in this episode, it's her, at the end of the episode, she, after having snooped on Anton Baklanov and found the, like, letters, the narrative to Jacob Baklanov's mm-hmm. son, like, hidden within the mattress, right, tells him to keep writing his hard and beautiful story. We could think about that in a kind of meta way of, you know, it's the showrunners being like, let's keep going writing this story. Or it could just be a, you know, that's, I think, the most direct tie to the Solzhenitsyn of it all. Right? Sure. This like impetus to, you know, we get an we get an exterior shot of what is supposed to be like Siberia or the Urals or wherever else every time a cup usually when we're yeah, going yeah. back there. It's always windy. It <laughs> um, is always that this is something in my notes that's like very windy. <laughs> so I, I you know, I, I think it's possible to overread that line in terms of the souls you need title as well. Who are we if not overreaders? <laughs> what is the purpose of this podcast if not to overread? Not quite great books, but still overreading. <laughs> Listen, right. one of these days we'll take a three-hour seminar to read five lines of Plato's Republic, and it will just all be – it'll be the, the, the major fucking Danielle, to the great Danielle, books tradition. I thought we left Strauss down in the cave last oh, week. Oh, yeah. That that dude is chained up. <laughs> uh, what a great callback. Okay, keep, let's Thank keep you. going. Okay, so I've got one other thought on what's happening with this okay. particular um, Anton framing. We have this line early on. This is now the first conversation that he and Nina have. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's notable is – the, when they're speaking in Russian and when they're speaking in English to one another. Yeah. Right. And that's a yep. thing to potentially track. Right. And it seems that Nina's speaking English and ability to speak English and having lived in America and been a spy in America is part of what is appealing to Anton about her. Right. Yeah. So we have that happening here Agree. In, the, in the first, um, in the first scene between the two of them. And then we also have Anton saying, you know, they keep sending me women. He admits that he slept with most of them that the Soviets have yeah. sent to him, right, to warm his bed, right? 
so to speak. Uh, Gross. (laughs) Gross indeed. And then he stopped because he found himself regretting or kind of being opposed to, as he says, waking up to strangers that they have chosen. And in an episode where Elizabeth has to have sex with Neil and then is like seemingly kind of shaken up by it when she gets back into the garage afterwards, right? Where Philip kind of bears how hard the Annalise thing has been for him, Mm -hmm. somewhat to Yusef and particularly when he confronts Gabriel, right? That like that line about who are the literal strangers in the bed that they have to sleep with in order to advance their missions, but then perhaps to consider the page of it all kind of more broadly, what are the strange things or strange people that they have to interact with or do, right, in order to fulfill a mission for the Soviet Union? And then what is the weight of doing that for two people who, unlike for now at least Baklanov, cannot just stop, right? There's no option like Baklanov is like, I'm not going to have sex with the people, yeah. right, with the like de facto KGB sex workers that are being, right, sent to my room every night. Right. There's no similar option for Philip and Elizabeth, it seems. One of the things I'm, I was fascinated by when I was watching and that, like, I think you're bringing up a little bit is like, does Baklanov see Nina as something fundamentally different? And should he see mm. Nina as something fundamentally different? I think the answer to does is yes. I think the English plays into it. I think the fact that he's sort of like, willing to bear some of his, like, soul to her, like, suggests that, like, he does see her as different. But, like, at the end of the day, and this, I think, is highlighted in the previously on that we get. Which from is, Nina like, in Russian, right? Because it gives the voiceover. From Nina in Russian, but also that we get the scene where her captors are basically saying, like, you do this and your debts will be paid. So, like, this is transactional for Nina. However, we know that, like, Nina, more than most people that we've engaged in the show, is actually not quite capable of keeping things transactional. Mm -hmm. What she somewhat, what she expresses regret, and again, the classic question of her in the season, right, to what extent is that regret a genuine feeling and to what extent is that part of whatever mission she understands herself to be on? And the answer is usually, of course, at both end. Right? When she talks about how she herself was traded back and forth. I just want to say that we're about 15 minutes in, so I can't wait for Keller to text us with the like, in 15 <laughs> minutes in, you got to your first bull band. I can't wait that until we make this a running bit where we like give John a, <laughs> a, like a prompt, a check to see if he actually listens to the episode or yeah. not. Um, <laughs> and then we get a, a snarky text. <laughs> extremely snarky text. Um, although, of course, the funny thing is, like, the episode that was most recently released is literally eight episodes ago, so... I- <laughs> <laughs> when he was like, oh, something, something, like, I am listening. I'm like, did we talk about that? <laughs> like, John, we're, we're always talking. We're always already talking about you. Always There's already. That. See, There's 15 minutes feel. in, we got a bull fan and an always already You're and a Keller mention. Oh, Great. John's got to feel happy. From Keller to the American. <laughs> I'm sure there's, like, more to say about the Nina Baklanov. And Solzhenitsyn. Like, like not even going to try to say that word. (laughs) I'm just embarrassed myself. Um, 
So there's more to say there, but I wonder if maybe we want to move on a little bit to Elizabeth, because I feel like there's a lot of Elizabeth stuff happening in this episode. We do, and there's the kind of framing we get of the line from Baklanov. We also, you know, she gets bad news from Gabriel, right? So she gets another tape, and Gabriel says, you know, I'm very sorry, but, like, it's not going well. This might be the last one. Yeah. and she has this extremely long conversation with Paige as Paige is like sitting in the car, right? Just chilling, <laughs> um, yes. thinking to get away from Henry's Eddie Murphy routine. It's worth noting. When Elizabeth goes, that kid, <laughs> <she's> like, <laughs> I think she said something like, that kid is weird. <laughs> and I was like, dude, same. But if my mom said that about me to one of my siblings, I would feel mad. Uh huh. Would one of, would the sibling then, in the near future after hearing that relate that back to you no 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 no, no. okay keepers but of secrets. they would agree <laughs> <laughs> like i would be the sibling they would say that about i think okay fair enough yeah if one of the siblings said it about each other then like then we would tell mm, okay this makes sense. Yeah. Keepers <laughs> of the parents' secrets. El- elaborate networks of communication within the Hamlet siblings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, goes out over the sister text. <laughs> <laughs> so what part of Elizabeth do you want to start with, Danielle? I mean, I'm thinking maybe because we have the Antone line about yeah. sleeping with, you know, strangers that weren't of our choosing. You know, how did you react both to Elizabeth's in the moment, yeah. like sex with Neil, and yeah. then her again, seemingly quite unhappy and upset when she gets back into the garage later that night. I was having a lot of trouble reading the Elizabeth in the garage part of it. Like, obviously, upset and unhappy in the garage, but like, I was having trouble putting my finger on what exactly it is. Now, like, I think the show is telling us, like, she's upset because she doesn't want to be having sex with him because that's where she's at. And yet, or she seems to be experiencing pleasure, which is obviously not the same thing as happiness. Mm -hmm. And also, like, comes back kind of, like, hot for Philip, right? Like Exactly. And so I was having a lot of trouble sort of, like, reading reading all of that. Right. Because, I mean, the scene itself is... Is hot, right? Between yeah. Elizabeth and Neil. There, there is a like, uh, sex god Clark comparison that we know that, uh, sex yeah. god Clark is enthusiastically giving of, of oral to exactly. Martha. Neil exactly. enthusiastically giving of oral Enthusiastic. As well. And Elizabeth is like, I think you see in her face there trying like not to enjoy it and still like, enjoying it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important reading of it. I mean, there's just so much on her mind when she gets back from from that particular mission, right? There's her mom. Yeah. There is Paige, right? And Paige is, like, asking probing questions about her, and Paige is, like, causing, it appears, a the kind of fundamental or quasi-fundamental is their, like, split subjectivities and complicated psyches can allow for Elizabeth that Philip has already gone through. And part of like his distancing, I think from the work, from the mission, from the cause, from whatever, right. Is an effect of him having done some of that. Yeah. I think that's right. That Paige has now prompted Elizabeth to do on top of the fact that she finds out that not only has her mom been sick, but now presumably her mom is basically dying. 
I think like Elizabeth is someone that we that we know in the show is good at compartmentalizing, and this moment shows her to like struggle with the one of these things that she's really good at, right? Like because it's all like too much, too close, too soon, and just like you're saying, like doesn't have the luxury. I think like the luxury that Philip does of having already like tried to put at least a little bit of distance, and and I think like the other thing that kept coming up for me was. The other thing we get, right, we get Philip asking Gabriel for, like, this visit, which we can talk a little bit more about in a moment. But I thought it was really interesting that we get that ask from Philip shortly after Philip learning that Elizabeth made an ask for him, right? Great point. There's something, like... And so, like, to, to think about that and also Elizabeth kind of coming back and, like, like getting into bed and like making sure that her and Philip are having sex. Right. And like going down on him. Right. Like, right. We sort of get this, this parallel and it's like, it's just really fascinating. And I was having a lot of, I still, it was just like, there were a lot of pieces all over the place, which was just tough for me to be like, Oh, this is the one thing that's happening. Cause I think it's like 42 things that are happening. 42 is I think approximately the correct number. I mean, and Philip also like, Matthew Reese's face in that scene, or he's playing conflicted about what's happening as well when Elizabeth comes back and kind of like wakes him up and goes down on him. So this is an aside, but I think it's useful. Have you ever watched the show Easy? It's on Netflix. I have not. Okay. So they're one, the way it's like, there are a bunch of different couples and like vignettes, like every episode is kind of a different couple. And one of the couples that comes back in a bunch of different seasons is a couple that has opened their marriage over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. And the, like in the third season, the kind of the last, one of the last times we we see this couple in the episodes is that they've opened their marriage, very obsessed with, with someone. And the, the husband like, isn't as jazzed to open the marriage, but ends up having like kind of more success dating. Mm-hmm. One of the episodes, the woman is sort of wants to sleep with the person she's excited about. And that person kind of shuts it down. Not like a never, but like not tonight. Mm -hmm. And she comes back and she's like all over her husband. And he discerns that like, oh, she's all over me because she is like, she's been turned down by this guy. And he's like, I don't want to be your sloppy seconds. And I, there was part of me that I know that that was a long aside, but there was part of me that was. I'm willing to elongate the aside if we want to keep going, but. But I'm just like, part of me was wondering like with Phillips kind of ambivalence is, is how I would characterize it. Mm -hmm. If part of it is like one, knowing that this is challenging for Elizabeth, but also like being slightly turned off by the fact that like someone else has gotten her worked up and it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, we've seen like that kind of reactive patriarchal instinct pop up a couple other times, particularly in the first season with Philip. And so I think it's fair to read that as happening here too. I mean, in he does ask her after they're at Gabriel's if she's okay at the hotel. Yeah. Like he's kind of giving her the the possibility yeah. of an out um, to some extent. Yeah. He's giving her this out. And like, I think also not expecting her to take it. Right. Like, Correct. because she would never take it. 
she definitely would not. <laughs> um, even even in this moment, like she is willing to push through whatever hesitations and ambivalences and self conflict and internal like splits and stuff that she's experiencing for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the cause. And now, Danielle, obviously some of, or a lot of, or perhaps the preponderance of the particular difficult feelings that Elizabeth and Philip are experiencing this episode is because of the af- page's aftermath and how she's responded to the reveal of what her parents do for their lives uh, as spies for the Soviet Union. And I mean, I love the way the show opens, right? The birds are chirping and Paige just like books it down the stairs yeah. and being like, do you remember that spontaneous vacation where you took us to a cabin in the middle of fucking nowhere? You were doing something then, weren't you? Right. A great read. I'm sure that John Keller, who gets to come up again in this episode, you're welcome, John, <laughs> is times. very, very happy that Paige asked that particular question. Yeah. Well, yeah, Paige is just like, and I, like, in terms of the chronology of the show, I think that was like months ago at this point, right? Like, good call. Yes. So this is like, I'm sure there are examples that are. like closer in time but like that that's the one that sticks for page is like pretty important right yeah because they got woken up in the middle of night to go into some shabby ass cabin in the catskills in upstate new york and like let's be honest the catskills is not that far upstate like i live in upstate new york the catskills are like downstate from as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. Anything that's like outside of the city is upstate New York to a Long Islander, so. I I understand this. (laughs) You're like, I have big feelings about what counts as upstate. Uh, Oh, I definitely do. Um, And Paige is like, the questions keep coming, right? Are you really married? What are your real names? You're not really friends with Stan Beeman. So we get that brief call back to the beautiful final scene of the previous episode there as well. And that she's like, do you even love us? Like, are we your mm-hmm. kids? Right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like all of it is coming. All of the stuff that we were seeing on Paige's face last episode is like coming out verbally, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Because if I now understand it, we're now two mornings later, right? So we yes. saw the day after the yes. confrontation at night the previous episode and this is now then the day after that yeah because they're like philip is wondering is she going to go to school or philip and elizabeth like is she going to go to school today and so presumably Mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's the day after she didn't go to school and in the conversation with gabriel i think they give us those markers yeah 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 when they're explaining what happened so i mean and you know in pages i read her and i read holly taylor's performances expressing both a obvious fear concern like what the fuck is happening this but also a certain kind of like curiosity like i can't ask these questions fast enough i can't learn as much as you know i can't not learn as much as possible as soon as i possibly can about what's happening like as witnessed by the fact that they try to shut her down with the fact that henry's going to be downstairs literally any minute yeah and she's just firing off these questions I like the Henry coming downstairs of it all was stressing me out like aggressively. Yeah. And Henry comes down the stairs and he's like, what's really going on here? And just like the Henry just always like a minute late and a dollar short. Is that the well, cliche? Uh, a day late, a day and, a late and a dollar short. Um, but also that like, 
I was just kind of cringing because I was like, oh, God, is Philip going to be like, Paige is just introspective now that she's a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, please don't use that line again. (laughs) Yeah. And (sighs) even here, even after this reveal to Paige, it doesn't shake her out of the mothering role she takes vis-a-vis Henry. She's just added to her repertoire of like, now I can also mother Henry to like shut down when he's being annoying. When, you know, he says what's really going on, what's with you, he says to Paige because Paige is clearly unhappy. Yeah. And all she says is, like, eat your breakfast. Yeah. End scene. (laughs) This is the most screen time that Henry has gotten in any season, with the exception of the, like, weird, I still think Soviet spy, uh, like, dude that picked them up and took them to the park. Um, (laughs) And yet, still nothing to do. That dossier case is still open. That dossier case is still open. Some others are closed, but that one is open. It is. And then I think kind of in some ways for me, like the centerpiece scene that we're getting to a half hour in is this conversation between Elizabeth and Paige in the car. Like, first of all, I think it's worth noting the way that it's shot is like back and forth each of them in profile yeah. and it's only at the very end that you kind of get a little bit of like focus and definition on both of them in the same shot. Uh-huh. Um, and like after starting off where like you're seeing them both in profile early on, it really is just switching back and forth to one at a time, yeah. which I thought was like really those like tight profile shots. I thought really communicated the, attempt to forge some kind of connection across two radically and extremely different experiences and how like physically like the space between them is in some ways enhanced by the way that it's shot um, or like made more um, unbridgeable or like made more chasm like. Well, and what's so interesting about that is I think you see Elizabeth on the one hand, like seeing this, moment or opportunity of like being closer to page than ever right there's like something about letting someone into the the truth of it all right that we saw in the male robot episode like a couple of episodes ago like with betty so like at, like you have that with page and yet the the chasm is really is like opening up because the act of coming face to face with all of the ways your life is constructed on lies is just like, it could only ever like put distance between people at least initially. Right. And Elizabeth is immediately trying to bridge some of that distance, right? She, and she does so by getting extremely personal and real, but also of course, I mean, we, I've asked this question about Nina this season. We are constantly asking this question about Elizabeth herself is also doing it in a potentially readable as manipulative way, right? You know, she says, my father died in the war when I was two. Then she gives stories about her mom and says, you know, she was a real spirit just like yours, Right. right? So there's the Elizabeth being weighed down and the kind of how is she like reading these kinship networks or projecting them back onto Paige, which is, Clearly, I think part of the emotional turmoil that Elizabeth's character is going yes, through, but absolutely. also may work as a like sympathy play on Paige. Yeah, and that's like one of those things where it's like not clear, like which of those is happening at w- at what moment, right? Like, and Elizabeth probably doesn't know herself. Yeah, right? exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. That it's like I don't think it's clear to Elizabeth, like because I think she's so used to 
manipulating. And so used to having to manipulate her daughter. And so I also think that like, there's some struggle in all of a sudden, this is not a relationship that's based on manipulation. It's a relationship based in some kind of honesty, or at least honesty for the moment that will eventually have to come back to manipulation because they're not just telling her because they love her. They're telling her because they have to tell her. Otherwise, they would have just kept lying to her. She is asking great questions, though. So I I will say that. So with Paige, we also get that final. It feels like finally, because we've been in it for an episode and a half, but they finally go and tell Gabriel that, like, (laughs) that Paige knows. (laughs) Right. And his response is just, all right, good. Yeah. Are you two all right? You did the right thing. And Philip pissed, right? He says, pissed. you know, oh, this better get the center off of our back for a while. Yeah. And Gabriel starts to say that, well, surely you can trust that Paige is not going to go tell. And Philip just cuts him off and says, we know. Like, he is resentful of how he probably correctly reads Gabriel as um, accelerating the timeline on which this happened. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that like that line of like, does this keep the center quiet for a while? And Gabriel just being like, I'll take care of it. Like, I don't trust that. (laughs) Philip obviously doesn't trust it because we get, he comes back later. Right. So that's, this is one interaction. And then we get a second Gabriel interaction with just Philip a bit later. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he is like, He's angry in the first one, but in this one, he like his he is like baring his teeth, like he is pissed. Mm-hmm. And so, in that one, he asks for Elizabeth uh, to be able to see her mother, and she's and Gabriel's like, mm, can't, sorry, can't, no can do, bro. <laughs> and Philip's like, oh, there's plenty of can, there's plenty of stuff that we know can do, and we fucking do it. So like figure it out Mm -hmm. and it's honestly this like really wonderful display of like philip's anger i I was like i I think it's so far as like my favorite scene in the americans wow can you say more about why that is well one you know i like angry people so that's like (laughs) one and we know you like angry people a in general and b in art and fiction exactly so that's that. But also I think obviously the tension between Philip and Gabriel has been building for a long time. And I think there was this like, okay, well, Gabriel coming back is at least better than Claudia and like Kate got herself killed. <laughs> You're wishing Claudia was back. You can admit no, it. No, I'm not wishing Claudia was back. <laughs> but like Philip has never been as like at ease as Elizabeth has. And there's always been this like, this tension is like ramping up. And I think like it is important and powerful to see Philip like recognize the value and the danger of what he does um, and what is constantly asked of him and to like act on that behalf. Cause I think we see Philip as like not necessarily passive, but a little bit more passive like in general, just because like he's less into the cause and like, you know, like he's, he goes through these motions, I think sometimes cause like he has to, and this was him being like, yeah, I know that it's tough and we don't usually do it, but you're asking us to do crazy things too. So like figure it out. 
Right. We so often get, I mean, certainly we get charged conversations between Philip and Elizabeth, for sure. And we've gotten some snapback towards Gabriel in this season, right? The end of Do Male Robots Dream of Electric mm-hmm. Sheep. But there's a way in which they could have communicated something kind of similar through a more, yeah. you know, another brooding Philip, Matthew Reese, sad boy face, right? <laughs> yeah. Shot, lingering shot. Yeah. And instead it's the externalization of it that becomes really crucial. And like the way that Philip, to your point, takes ownership of it, right? Because he says, you know, do you really understand? A lot of is asked of us, right? He and Elizabeth. Yeah. And then the, he is the most honest to himself and most honest to Gabriel in the very next bit, which is, a lot is asked of me, right? Yeah. It's both of those things for him. And the fact that I, Philip gets to, I assume like cathartically for him, um, you know, put himself in that narrative and be like, this isn't just hard for Elizabeth and I, it is specifically impossible what you are asking of me. And he cites Paige and he cites Annalise in doing so. Mm-hmm. So much so that having earlier in the episode, like chastised Paige for talking the way she is when Henry could come down the stairs at any mo- at any minute. Yeah. He now is like acting out in a public place yeah. so much so that Gabriel has to be like, calm down. Like, yeah. Contain yourself. Well, and the, like, calm down, and he's just like, fuck you and your calm down. People have fights all the time. No one's listening to us. If they yeah. were, we wouldn't be here. We'd be dead. Correct. You know? Correct. Yeah. They're on the, they're on the board, on the boardwalk. They love a, a chat by the, I don't know what river. Uh, it's like the Guanus Canal. Well, I was like, what is that bridge? <laughs> I, that's what I was wondering as well. We'll have to we'll have to do some research. I don't think it's the Gowanus <laughs> Canal because the Gowanus Canal no. is like dirty and small. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, it's too big for the Gowanus Canal. But I don't think that's Brooklyn. I'll say oh. like various Brooklyn shorelines, from what I can tell. That seems right. Maybe it's somewhere in Queens. Yeah, that I seem perhaps seems a bit more likely. And then we get. You know, I think in some ways the most satisfying line to me of Phillips yeah. blowing up at Gabriel is at the very end. One of these times I'm going to need a yes. Yeah, and then I just know. like storm off. Oh, I'm going to try to work that into my, I'm going to try to work that into my everyday life. <laughs> these times I'm just going to need a yes. <laughs> I know it's a real, just like. My, my students aren't saying anything in class and I just say, one of these times I'm going to need a yes, I have something to say and I storm out of the classroom 20 minutes early. Literally say anything. <laughs> <laughs> How many ways can I say, literally say anything without actually saying that in any given week of class time? It's amazing what my my brain can come up with. Well, just to like circle back to maybe, maybe this is how to kind of wrap up (laughs) the conversation on Philip and Gabriel is that is to come back to like the Philip and Elizabeth and Paige of it all, because it is not. Um, Elizabeth, like Elizabeth and Philip are sort of like in the middle of the conversation before Paige comes in. And mm-hmm. then, uh, Paige is like, what are you talking about? And it's like, okay, you're a teenager. You don't get to just always ask this question, like relax. But they, you know, Philip is very much like, okay, like we're doing this honesty thing. We're talking about like your, like grandmother is sick and your mother going to see her and Paige, I think very smartly asked, can you even do that? And Philip and Philip doesn't answer. And Elizabeth is like, 
no, I can't go. And so it's like, a, it's interesting to get the end of that conversation, mm-hmm. th- like mediated through Paige's presence. As Paige then like turns around, walks out of the room and like has to think twice about it and like kind of pulls the door closed pretty abruptly because she didn't close it all the way the first time out. Yeah. And this is also like the first time since she saw or walked in on her parents having sex yeah, that exactly. we've seen her like cross the threshold into their bedroom. And I'm just like, this is, this is an aside, but like Elizabeth like put a nighty on after they slept together, just felt weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause I had, the, I had the same thought. I was like, wait, you aren't totally buck ass naked under there. Yeah. Cause it would have been one thing if that's what she had taken off, but she didn't take that off. She took like clothes off. So yeah. anyway, fair enough. All right. We got one more scene that I don't know, arguably this also Anton's line about the strangers that are forced upon us. Yeah. Right. Ed also applies to Martha. Absolutely. As well. Who has uh, another confrontation with Walter Taffet in this episode. And this is the first confrontation that she's worried about. Or, like, that she's verbalizing a worry about. And and Philip coaches her. Philip as Clark coaches her through it. Yeah. Um, in a really interesting way. Do you think, Danielle, that Clark is better or worse at coaching someone through an interrogation than Oleg was for Nina? Like, if you're you're about to be interrogated about all of the secrets of Not Quite Great Books podcast, who would you hire as your interrogation coach? I would, Answer's clear to me. I would hire Oleg, and here's why. Like, Clark gets it right, but he bumbles through it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like... How did this is okay? <laughs> Sorry, I'm flustered about it. How <laughs> is it possible? You're failing this interrogation. How is it possible that Walter Taffet doesn't use a lie detector? Like, that seems crazy to me. Yeah. These are state secrets. <laughs> you're obviously a like racist misogynist, so you're you're bad at your job and like Every Stan's figured it out. It's Martha. Gad's about to figure it out. He's working in the vault like, <laughs> like a goddamn hermit. He's he's in his own cave. And like <laughs> and like <laughs> Walter Taffet's like, who's your boyfriend? Which is the right <laughs> question, but yet cannot get to the answer because Martha's just focusing on his nose. Like, what a yeah. wild piece of advice. <laughs> wild piece of advice. I mean, Oleg's advice was arguably wilder, but potentially more effective. But, like, <laughs> um, it at least was, like, c- like clench your butt because yeah. then they can't, like, if you're doing that, they can't feel your pulse jump. And it's, like, the physiological piece of that <laughs> feels sounder than, like, look at my nose. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, so I think there's a couple ways to read Taffet. <laughs> One is... He is so, and they're not mutually exclusive. One is that he's so overconfident about his own abilities as an interrogator that he feels like he doesn't need a lie detector. Totally. Or he is, um, unlike any other cop ever, and, like, understands that lie detectors are total bullshit. Yeah. I I I think the overconfident like yeah. is is right and like it he he probably does really love the FBI. Yeah, I also think that like had 
our buddy Gene had a lie detector, then like Martha would have known the lie detector was coming and then we would have gotten different, we would have gotten perhaps different coaching from Clark. But like, mm-hmm. I still want Oleg to, to be my coach. Me too. I mean, Oleg's, it's, it, one of the things you said first, Oleg's much more confident and smooth in the advice 100%. that he gives, right? And I get that Clark is, you know, that Philip as Clark is like keeping up his kind of bumbling personality yeah. in that moment, but that's maybe the time to like show the I'm in control, I know what I'm doing part of yeah. conveying yes. some confidence in the situation to Martha. You know, and I, I did like the touch of having Matthew Reese like pull the two chairs up from the dining table and like sit them facing one another, yeah. which was also a like, you know, Oleg did the exact same thing from the two tables yes. in there, like equivalent of the vault in the Residentura. Yeah. So I appreciated that. And, but yeah, I mean, like, you're the look at the nose advice. And, like, granted, I did watch this episode and then go in and teach the next day. And then, like, I'm not actually making eye contact with my students. I'm like, I'm a forehead, though. I'm not a nose. Yeah. And, like, like, I'm like eyes back and forth across the room to foreheads. It does give us some cool camera angle stuff, right? Like, we get the nose Absolutely. focus, but I was just like, okay, this is not the advice that I would need. <laughs> yeah. But now we have a, a plethora of techniques for our repertoire if we're ever interrogated. I will forget every one of them the minute <laughs> I'm interrogated. I literally, this is like, again, an aside. This is an aside episode. But I was meeting a colleague for a drink on Monday evening. And Monday was a holiday. <laughs> you can get a sense of like when we're recording this. Monday was like a federal holiday, but like Clark had class. And I, most other same as Plattsburgh, yeah, yeah. Most other places did too. But I parked my car on the street, and there was like pay for parking on the street, and there were cops walking by, and I got like so nervous about even asking the cops if like I had to pay to park on the holiday, and like I didn't do anything wrong. Like I, like I just was like, Ugh. so and like. We're like thirty something white people. Yeah, 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 that. totally. Not to be interrogated. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh God, I'll. Uh, it will be bad. I think we've gotten right. to the end of the main <laughs> discussion with at least seventeen asides from me. Yeah, only seventeen. I think I probably matched them. Um, you know, and I think again the like foregrounding Anton Baklanov, I think, did offer us a way into, like, what are the broader stakes and, like, ethical moral questions that Baklanov is raising that we could then confront all these characters with as they kind of confront themselves with. This is a very obnoxious, and this is how it all ties together. But I'm going to, I did it anyway. I like it, and I think it works. And also, like, it's a... What is happening, not only in this episode, but in the series that feels disconnected, that's actually a device in order to read all of it through, which is like a move that the show makes a lot, and I like it. That's a much better, this all ties together, from my wonderful co-host, Danielle Hanley. Danielle, should we go to the go to the segments? Let's go to the segments, man. All right, what do we have in the dossier? I actually don't know this week. <laughs> I feel like in the dossier, two things. One... Just Gene, again, like, getting interrogated <laughs> for three hours. He likes it. He has a lot of respect for Walter Taffet. Because Walter Taffet knows about computers, and so does yeah. Gene. If I was picking a spy on the FBI, it would be Gene. Uh, <laughs> it would not be Martha. I just want to be very clear about that. So that's one. Um, just, like, checking in on our buddy Gene. I think also, like, we are creeping cl- Like, it felt like Stan was about to tell Gad about Martha, 
which feels like the closer we get to Gad knowing about Martha, the closer we get to Martha dying. <laughs> like, okay, that's a read. Okay, I'll take that. No comment. I'll take that for, <laughs> for what it is. Let me see. Um, I have I have one question yeah. for you for the dossier. Do you think anything other than toilet paper discourse is going to come from this bug in Mail Robot? It's got to, but like I feel like they might they will almost miss it because they're like so deep in the like. Let me let me say beep very loudly. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. That was that was my only question. Yeah, a good question. Uh, let's go to gloss. So I think first thing to talk about in gloss is the one thing that we haven't yet touched on, which feels like a big thing in the episode, which is uh, Lisa and Maurice and Elizabeth as Michelle sort of comes. She's back like at that house after like we haven't seen Lisa in a couple of episodes. Correct. Maurice has like figured it out. And is challenging Elizabeth as Michelle, like, to kind of, like, bring him and Lisa into the scam because, like, they need money because they're about to lose their house. And, like, also, I think we know this from before, like, Maurice is abusive in some way. And, Mm -hmm. like, so there's, like, but he's somehow he's back. So, yeah. What do you precisely think that Maurice believes about? Elizabeth slash Michelle. I think that he believes that like her boyfriend is like uh, somebody who is profiting, like profiting via money off of the like knowledge that Lisa has. Okay. I asked that question because I wanted to know if you think that Maurice believes that they're spying for a foreign country or it's a slightly lower level. Like the profit off of is I think also my read of Maurice. I think, I think it's a slightly lower level. Yeah. I think it's profit off of, I think that if one, I think that if he thought Elizabeth was spying for another country, like, I don't think that he would think that they could get in on the, like the scam. That wouldn't have been the ask. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does have the very correct read of, I think you're the real head of this operation. Is more, I mean, more true than he could possibly know know by the conditions of existence of this storyline. A hundred percent. And like such a good read. And like, it's clear that he's the smart one in, in that relationship, right? Like, or at least, like, smart in the way of we can get something out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think I think Lisa's aware of that. And maybe it's more, like, about willingness to I, go there. Yeah. No, I don't think that Lisa's unaware. But I think that, like, I don't suspect that she would have ever tried to get money from Michelle. Yeah. Outside and of that probably pressure. doesn't have the suspicion of Michelle yes. that Maurice has, right? In part because of the AA context, yes. right? Like they met through AA, they're supposed to, you know, yeah. follow by like the you know, the spoken or unspoken codes yeah. of what that means for their yes. supposed relationship. And this is, I mean, this is another to bring back the end Antonina discussion. I mean, this is another like. I have to act like a monster, right? Yeah. On Elizabeth's part, right? I have to impersonate this person who is in recovery, right? Who is in what we're led to believe is an abusive relationship. Yep. Who sent her kids to another family member as a result, right? Who is having money problems, 
who got like prodded by Elizabeth to move 50 miles and change jobs within her company. Right. Right. And so like the monstrosity of it, I think is, you know, it's not a coincidence that this is the episode framed by Solzhenitsyn and Bakhlanov that this storyline comes back. I'm just going to keep trying to make it work. <laughs> I think it works. I think you like, listen, I'm happy for you to keep, and I'm putting in quotes, trying to make it work. Cause I think it does work. And I'm happy to like get a retread of the frame to like confirm that I understood it. <laughs> right. We also, we love it when the form and the content work together. We love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle, I have a crucial question for Please you. Please ask me. Beep. <laughs> oh my god. I think the best part of this episode is Oleg and Tatiana like going over the notes for like Operation Zephyr or Zephyr, yeah. I read it as Zephyr. Um uh, fly away on my Zephyr. <laughs> okay. So when we were talking about discussing this where we were gonna discuss this earlier, I also had the red hot chili peppers come into my head from when I reread my Operations of Fear notes. I am so. always already thinking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That I do know. <laughs> Pretty sure I've told that story on this podcast before. I think so. Um, I think with your sisters. Probably. <laughs> it involves Caitlin. It's just so funny that they're like I'm bringing you into this. Blah, 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 blah. And then they're reading like the dumbest office gossip that happens at the mailboxes. <laughs> <laughs> In making fun of the fact that they transcribed every beep that Mail Robot makes. Well, I mean, there's, it's the officiousness of yeah. Arkady. Not that he's a particularly officious character. I think he's actually like quite empathetic and warm, but we all know that we love Love Corn. We love Love Corn. So like, I think he's actually like quite personable and not particularly pompous, but it's like the <laughs> officialdom of, I am reading you into this operation. We're really, you know, this is going to be a great source yeah. of intelligence. We have this traveling, roaming freely throughout the FBI. There are stacks of paper fucking everywhere Wait, in Arkady's I, office. I, okay. I'm sorry, but the the way that these stacks of paper look, it's as though somebody threw up a ream of paper, gathered it in their hands, and just handed over the like semi gathered pile. That the I literally have a note. So many papers, disheveled piles. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> Arcadi's been up for like 72 hours alternating between tea and vodka, like pouring over these intense transcripts of beeps and toilet But he hasn't poured over the ones that he gives them, which look like disheveled piles. <laughs> That's Fair what enough. I'm angry about. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, do you have any either normal or dossier thoughts about <laughs> how Oleg and Tatiana are related to one another, given the at times conflict but at times like budding friendship between them and then the like structural conflict of tatiana knows about zineda oleg like is trying to run this wacko operation with stan against zineda well that's the part that i was confused by because i'm like i feel like tatiana knows that oleg has fucked up but maybe oleg hasn't really fucked up it's stan that's fucked up well no 
they still think, they as in Arkady and Tatiana, still think it was someone from the center dispatched someone to Zenyeda who did not know about the operation because it's so compartmentalized. I see. I see. Yeah, I mean, like, in terms of the Oleg Tatiana, I'm just like, this is... This is fascinating, and it feels a little... Right now, it feels a little Mm brother-sister. And so I'm interested to see how the dynamic develops as some of these other pieces, like, drop into place. Perfect. What else do we have in Glass? We have this brief scene between Philip and Yusuf. Yeah. um, Where, you know, the first of the two discussions of Annalise coming back up in this episode, where Yusuf is still upset about what happened. Or, yeah. You know. Understandable. <laughs> understandable. Like, he literally murdered her, like, yeah. right after they had sex together. Yeah. And she, or, you know, they were making plans to move her to Geneva or something, right? Yeah. Like, like Yusuf and Philip. And this, I think, is helps explain part of why Yusuf is so insistent about only meeting with Philip, right? That, like, he understands himself to have a fucked up bond, but a bond nonetheless with philip um qua swedish intelligence agent um and his uh scott uh get up and they talk about the mujahideen they talk about the leaders that are coming they talk about this new weapon system that the cia wants to get into the hands of the mujahideen what did you make of this brief scene it was good to be reminded of like yusuf and it also felt again like this just feels like it's also i have seen like the the screenshot from the next episode like this is just like it's seeding the next couple of episodes right and we already i already had that sense from last episode because like they're doing the like the they're gathering intel at the hotel they're setting up that part of the mission so it just feels like these are all like little pieces that are like pieces of a puzzle that are about to like kind of explode. Yeah. And in the structure and kind of rhythms of a season of TV, right. It's, we have to set up more of the, you know, Mujahideen plot for presumably dramatic last couple of episodes of the season. Exactly. Exactly. Which I'm here for. For sure. And, you know, it's, we talked about this with Lily last week, right? That the episode is about stingers. This is the weapon system that you said yeah. was referencing. And it's only here, and we still haven't gotten them by name. So just, like, I love that touch of the stingers episode, not actually saying what the stingers are. or Because the real stinger is Paige. <laughs> it is Paige. Um, you've got some pronunciation notes, so yeah. have at it. <laughs> like, I, you know... I want, and I think this improves over later seasons, if my memory serves me correctly, but, like, we need to pony up FX to, like, get a little bit more accent work with Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese. give her a name that is easier for someone with a worse accent to say. Because Matthew Reese doesn't have the best accent, but Misha is an easy name to say. Misha is easy, right? You can say that without an accent, and it works totally exactly. fine. Like Nadiyeshda, no, like you can't, you can't do that. Feel stressed by it, and like Paige does struggle over it, which I, I thought that was a nice little touch. But like 
Carrie Russell, because her name has come up before, yeah. and Carrie Russell's actually said Nadezhda better than she said it to Paige that morning. But I guess maybe this is also a she's more on edge and less connected with this part of herself because it's been shaken up by Paige. That's a that's the generous read. I also will just say, as someone who speaks no Russian, I did not catch that it sounded bad. <laughs> I'm only like thinking about it because you caught it. So I suspect more of the audience is like in my boat. Fair enough. <laughs> but I respect your boat. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what What's going on in the Spycraft boat? Oh, okay. Good try. I love it. <laughs> I just like, listen, I love a Spycraft moment. Um, the Hans, Elizabeth being like, use Hans. And then Hans walks by and takes his hat off and brushes his hair and puts his hat back on. I'm like, this is what I live for. Yeah. It's a great, it, it is a great sign. Um, but maybe Hans like looks a little too directly at Phila. A hundred percent because this. Hans is terrible at this. And like, I can't believe Elizabeth's still using him. But anyway, <laughs> but, like it was not that long ago when Hans was sloppily murdering people in <laughs> book depository. still alive? I do not know. I mean, it's, I guess it's a sign of like the desperation of, they have literally no one else to work with. Yeah. I, the other thing I, everybody dies, everyone dies or they kill everyone or that the other thing i was thinking about like and related to the han spycraft stuff is there's like a very quick exchange um between elizabeth and hotel dude neil neil (laughs) i wanted to call him sean (laughs) (laughs) i blame that on you yeah fair um responsibility here but where neil's like yeah we've got cameras we'll assume we'll have cameras on every floor and i was like TikTok, man. TikTok till this spycraft <laughs> is going to go. <laughs> yes. Great point. You, you're you very good at picking like that. What, is, <laughs> what, are the limits of, what are the like limits of state surveillance oh in the God. 80s or private surveillance in the 80s? And how does that enable the show to do what it does? Which I really appreciate. I'm just anxious about it. Um, what about <laughs> sound design, John? Uh, we already mentioned the wind. Yeah. Um, wind. We, Wild. <laughs> when they're in the Soviet Union in the Urals or wherever. Uh, we mentioned the birds chirping <laughs> loud when Paige very loudly trundles down the stair so i'll highlight two other uh sound notes in this episode one is the um they have just finished telling gabriel they're walking out of gabriel's like safe house apartment Mm -hmm. and like the church bells are tolling in the background and like given the page churchness of it all i found that that was hilarious but the but the best sound design in this episode is the like scraping butter knife that of Henry getting his breakfast ready or Henry's breakfast being made for him. Yeah. It is so loud and so high in the sound mix. And there's like such an absence of dialogue around it. It's like you could, you know, cut the tension with a knife, right? Like that's the cliches about it. I thought I enjoyed it a lot. I laughed about it. I'll take it. Listen, I I like you enjoying the sound design. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, and then we also, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned already the fact that when Martha and Taffet are going back and forth, the camera many times, many perhaps times. one too many, too many times. times. <laughs> yeah, just one too many times. Uh, focuses right on the tip of Taffet's nose oh as Martha yeah. was instructed to do by the subpar interrogation preparer, Clark. 
Oh my god. Okay, this brings us to bar nostalgia for the unremembered 80s and like to just pick up on that Martha point and especially like this interaction with Taffet. Taffet's like asking her all these questions about her personal life which are pursuant to the investigation, but right. there's something that felt super like 80s gross about the like let me ask the woman that I'm interrogating about her personal life which like didn't feel like that was happening or didn't have the same valence with others. Right. Cause Stan gets asked about his divorce, but it's not in quite the same accusatory tone. It's not in the accusatory tone. And like, and Taffet doesn't hammer it home 75 times the way that he does with Martha. Yeah. And Martha, you know, tries some like shifting while Amador was more in, you know, yeah. like, and that's that's the only relationship she brings up, which is probably strategically very useful. A great, honestly, Martha, a great pivot. <laughs> yeah, which Clark, we did not see her give uh, give Martha that. No, see him give her that line. Right. So that was a uh, presumably Martha thinking on her feet because she's actually quite smart when the show lets her be. <laughs> exactly. What yeah. else? All right, we've got the hotel computer. Oh boy, <laughs> that Neil is fucking psyched about. He's so happy that like they it. have this electronic reservation system. We're going to talk more about that in the cave if you can believe it. <laughs> but just like his pure enthusiasm for it, and the like, Elizabeth clicking through the clunkiest keyboard possible, like the screen. It's like we only have a black background in green type. It just felt extremely 80s to me. Real M- Not to mention the, like, spinning decks uh, of tape going on yeah. in the Soviet Union. Real, like, MS-DOS vibes. <laughs> yeah, strong MS-DOS vibes. Um, and it just gets named Betsy. And I don't, I know, don't, I don't like it. He names it after his mom. I just, yeah. please no. <laughs> Exactly. We'll get back to that. We also just had Betty two episodes ago. That is uh-huh. the woman at the the male robot repair center. Yeah. Like we have a male robot is being bugged. Elizabeth is using quote unquote Betsy, the computer to get info. There's just a lot of like parallels happening. And I don't slash can't say what to make of that. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. <laughs> All right. What else do we have in the eighties? Just a couple quick fashion notes. Um, Elizabeth's like eggplant colored turtleneck. Yeah. Um, at the be most of the first day of this episode. Yeah. Incredible look. Uh, great color on her, and the most severe like turtleneck neck that could possibly exist. Very severe. I'm glad that you called that out. I also have that in my notes. <laughs> yeah. And then I think, you know, we have enjoyed poking fun at terrible men's fashion of the 80s. And not sadly, we need to continue doing so because Clark wears, like, he he has just the sheer quantity it's of wild. different shades of brown or beige or tan that are happening when he goes to Martha and how ugly individually <laughs> every single one of those 43 shades of brown he managed to dress himself in. Like, it's just oh remarkable God. how terrible that outfit could possibly look on a human being. Listen, I love I love that note. Agree. Full agree. <laughs> like, full agree. Yeah. All right. Wild. Well, let's, with, with that, let's go to another not necessarily depicted as dressing the best character. No, definitely. I'll try. I'll go for it. <laughs> Who's our minor character of the week? Minor character of the week is Gene, Spy Guy Gene. 
Um, <laughs> played by uh, Luke Robertson. And I said to John, I was like, Jean's got to be minor character of the week. And my notes say, Jean looks like a spy. So disheveled. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know either. But I was like, there's something about him that's like off that feels like, I don't know. But yeah, our guy, Jean, we've gotten multiple mentions of him. I think mentioned like in two or three episodes in the last two or three episodes and haven't met him yet. And this episode we meet him. He loves Walter. Oh, no, we've met him before. Have we? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think the it's the previous season. Stan goes down to get the, oh, God. Um, the, mo- the movie that he's going to show oh, to Nina. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah. And he gets it from Gene. And then Gene is like brought up to their floor, yes. to their office, to, like, run the computers. And okay, the I and forgot that we met him before because, yeah. like, he was not important to me. It just makes me feel like th- he's a spy. Given your extensive dossier records <laughs> on Gene, I can't comment any further here. Okay, uh, but yeah, Gene, minor character of the week. Uh, he'll probably be dead soon. Let's go to the cave. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Um, That's a transition if I ever heard one. I, I, suppose, I suppose it is. So in the cave, um, in honor of producer Amy, yeah. uh, who is undergoing some momentous academic and uh, professional work right yeah. now um, as we record, uh, in her honor, I'm going to give a supremely self-indulgent cave about uh, Amy Schiller and John McMahon 2019, Alexa, alert me when the revolution comes. I love it so much. Which is... Extremely appropriate. And I'd like to say that Danielle encouraged me to do this. John was like, (laughs) I don't know, that feels a little too, like, self-indulgent. And I was like, I have talked about my research literally 75 million times on this. And you, like, not only allow but encourage it, I will, like, fully co-sign this move. What really tipped it over that I'd be willing to do this is that I get to follow up Strauss and like if there's you know, anyone I would like to contrast myself with, Perfect. It's, our, it's, it's Leo. All right. So <laughs> we've got uh, this article in which Amy and I are trying to think through the multiple valences of domestic AI technologies like Alexa, like Google Home, mm-hmm. to a lesser extent, things like Siri, right? And we do so with regards to some affect theory. We do so with regards to some Marxist feminism, obviously, right? And we're end up making the argument that while there hypothetically could be kind of liberatory-ish tendencies of these devices to like offload some of the domestic social reproductive labor yeah. that like Marxist feminists, wages for housework, et cetera, have been theorizing for many decades at this point, that ultimately what really happens is that um, kind of the subordination that is inherent in uh, so much domestic labor that yeah. is gendered and racialized as like mechanisms of domination to put on to something that someone that is considered to be less than human now is something that is less mm-hmm. than human in this device. So there's like the maintenance of the hierarchical, um, and particularly gendered, but also racialized like command uh, obedience relationship yeah. that's produced in Alexa, which is a traditionally a woman's name and is gendered in any number of ways. Um, Siri also gendered as well. Granted, you can switch these things around, but we're thinking about the default yeah. settings here. 
So there's that element of it. There's the fact that, you know, these devices exist to more seamlessly and efficiently connect one to capitalist circulations, um, flows of capital and whatnot. Right. And then I think the piece that's most relevant for this particular um, episode of The Americans mm-hmm. is we talk about these devices like Alexa and Google Home and such as what we deem social servers. Right. Ooh. So it's like a slight mix of the, you know, there's still the expectation that there is like domestic reproductive labor being done. Yeah. Right. But it's partially cognitively offloaded onto these devices such that they play a role to like assist, but not lessen or take away from the cognitive labor and emotional labor of social reproduction. So when, as Daniel pointed out, like we have Neil, our guy, Neil, like bro to like defeat all bros. Um, but not bad looking. I'm sorry. I got to say Not bad it. looking. And like, <laughs> I will take a bro into like oral sex. <laughs> That's true. That better than the alternative. Yeah. And like, am I, am I, I would on Neil. Like, let's just be honest. <laughs> um, Great. We're over an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. And I, I w- would. Yeah. Um, on, on Neil. Smash so. or pass? Smash. <laughs> <laughs> and so when Neil. Is this a um, podcast? <laughs> Only appropriate task of our boy Neil um, <laughs> among all characters. So when Neil is so psyched to offload a bunch of the like secretarial or domestic labor to someone who he literally named after his mother, I can't just these circuits of gendered labor and social reproduction. And in this case, like quite directly, kind of capitalist-ish labor um, onto a gendered device that nonetheless has some vaguely human. Uh, characteristics attached to it, associated or put onto it, reminded me of uh, Schiller and McMahon, 2019, the social server. So it's like really just a let's get, let's drag Neil a little bit for being a bro, albeit a hot one who does go down. I feel great about it. Listen, if this podcast can be anything. It can be a place where we celebrate our own work. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, I think like it's also, I think we've had some like pretty heavy cave stuff over the last few episodes. And I feel like your and Amy's work is like illuminating a piece of this episode that is like a little bit more, like we might have a tendency to like toss it away in light of the like big moves that are happening in other places. And like what you're sort of bringing out is like, even though it's like wild and silly and we can laugh about Neil naming the computer after his mother, it actually is like rooted in all of these like other bigger, um, like ideological or political theory moves, which makes Mm -hmm. me happy. So, and at the same time, like Neil is, gets a like sort of sexual excitement from how great Betsy, the computer mom computer is like, he wants to have sex with Elizabeth who admittedly looks incredible incredible. in this this character. Um, one of the best for sure. Um, like wants to have sex with her there in the computer room in the office. And like, it's crazy to me. This is conspiracy, Danielle, coming back out. This is the Danielle of the dossier. <laughs> How could Neil ever leave anybody with the computer? What a crazy, dumb thing to do. And it's, I think, in part because he's so excited about it 
that mm-hmm. like it, he doesn't even realize that like the that that he himself and the computer might be these like instrumental pieces. Yeah, it's like the affective circulation of Neil and the computer. It, it like Neil and Elizabeth like overwhelms <laughs> totally. him from thinking like, why the fuck would I leave this stranger who's like very very like you know leading me on in but also into it. He's not thinking straight. He is thinking with his dick. Bros are blinded, man. <laughs> <laughs> ain't, ain't that the truth? <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we take uh, McMahon and Schiller out of the cave with Thank us. You. <laughs> Thank you. Um, obviously, I was in no uh, not, no rightful position to make that. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I'm glad you. I'm glad you chose correct. I got gotcha. you. We got a couple of theory ships. Um, I want to give, I know that we've like talked a lot about Foucault this season, <laughs> but I just feel like Martha needs some Foucault. Like right. she needs a little read up on like biopolitics, on governmentality, but also on like, I don't know, like the relationship between her submissiveness, sexuality, and like all of these other pieces. I don't know. Martha, like read some Foucault. I mean, she is, she is actually like the embodiment of like anti repressive hypothesis, right? Because like she does lead a somewhat conventional like staid life that one could assume would be associated with sexual repression, but like her and Clark have great sex and experiment with one another and have fun and have joy. So I think Foucault would give her, uh, a lot to think about. She's like, and it's totally fucked up. Well, and like, I think it's the the piece of it that like she's totally willing to like. It seems like throw the rest of her life away for some for for that. Like, there's something about (sighs) that that's that like is challenging to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm but yeah, I'm with you. What about your theory, Chip? And, well, you're also right. Like, she's literally an agent of government. Yeah. So. Like, that. I like, it's just like too many pieces. They don't all quite fit together, but like, it's, it's there. Yeah. I, can't, I couldn't agree more. Um, I will give, I guess I'll give Nina some Machiavelli, but I think more than that, more than giving Nina the prince, I would like her, like Solzhenitsyn, <laughs> to do some writing uh, of her own from exile, oh. right? Machiavelli wrote the prince while in exile in, out of power. Indeed he did. Right? Let's have Nina write the how to fucking deal with these situations and men who are shady, but also you have genuine feelings for. And how can you like use whatever means you need to achieve the particular ends you have in mind? And like, sure, she could read The Prince. I'd also be interested in her sequel. I also, her and Baklanov can have like writing workshops together. <laughs> <laughs> Baklanov has done a lot of writing. So much writing. Um, yeah, so much writing. No, I'm into this. I'm into, I would read like Nina's sequel to the prince, the Russian prince. <laughs> yeah. Um, or I guess like, is it, it'd be the third, right? Cause we got, we got, uh, Machiavelli, we have Gramsci. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now we have Nina So the prince, Machiavelli, Gramsci, Krilova. The prince, the prison notebooks and like imprisoned, imprisoned by my heart. <laughs> <laughs> by my heart. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> if if this was a podcast where like you have to pick a funny phrase from the episode <laughs> and make it the episode title, that would have been it this time. Amazing. Amazing. And with that, we have come to the end of this episode. Yes. Started with Baklanov and Nina, ended with Baklanov and Nina. Look at us. Look at us. It's almost like we planned it. <laughs> no. This, I, I don't no, think I, I honestly don't think I, do, <laughs> I also don't think the audience thinks there's a lot of planning. <laughs> Given in episodes like this one, how digressive oh, we both are. Oh, so digressive but in the best there way. There is a Google Doc. There is a Google Doc. We'll release the Google Docs one day. <laughs> uh, on the Patreon. That's like, yeah. you have to give us like thousands of dollars an episode. Oh and then you can get the Google Doc. Oh my God. Okay. Thanks as always to producer Amy. And a specific, even though this episode is going to come out much later, uh, a good luck finishing up your projects we know you're uh like grinding out over there so we want to wish you some good luck and thanks for producing anyway yes (laughs) up next on the feed in two weeks you'll get the americans season three episode 12 i am abison zadron thank you so much for joining us on yet another episode of not quite great books tv podcast Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It's created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.